0: Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
1: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One-one
0: pitch. Basketball
1: Got a fantasy question? Email baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your
2: league. Where fantasy becomes reality.
1: Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. All right, it is baseball time. That other sport is over. Super Bowl in the books. Time for fantasy baseball. Welcome to the show. It's fantasy baseball today, after dark. Monday evening at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, Adam Azer, Scott White, Chris Towers. Scott, how was your Super Bowl, sir? It was fine. I ate a lot of junk. That's the main thing I look forward
2: to for the Super Bowl, unless my team is playing in it, which has only happened twice ever. It's just like eating a bunch of junk, like wings and nachos. Great. I had a
1: root beer float. It was great. Uh, woo that's that is some serious junk right there, Chris Taus. Yeah. Speaking of junk, Chris tau I don't know, I don't know how people are supposed to
3: interpret that. Here's Chris. <laughs> what? I, well, I so I thought where you were going to go, and I think we need to get into this right off the top. Um, is your junk opinion about the Super Super Bowl halftime show, which yeah. was incredibly fun? Uh, everybody's telling me that I just got into. Everybody's telling me how wrong I am about the
1: halftime show. I thought it was bad. I got Incred- into. Uh, I got
3: And campy, and just, it was a ball. I had a blast watching that. Look,
1: this is it. What? This is the, this is the,
3: I don't like halftime shows.
1: All right. That's it. I don't like halftime shows. And I, I just, I don't care for them. Just, I'm going to change yeah. the channel next time. And- I, I don't either, Adam. So, but see, I don't, I don't really watch them. And then I don't
2: comment on them. And I, I do think this has become like a strange cultural ph- phenomenon. Where after every Super Bowl, there has to be these like polar opposite views of how the Super Bowl halftime show went. Like It's always the most divisive thing about the day before. It's just like, who cares? It's just music. It's just an oversized, it's just an outsized concert. And it gets the appropriate, I guess, outsized reaction.
3: Exactly. That's my point. When you're going to do this, go freaking big. And that's what they did. It was ridiculous. It was oversized. It was so much fun. Anyone who disagrees with me is wrong.
1: Mm -hmm. Tis the season. Okay, so let's let's get into our baseball opinions here. And been seeing some interesting stuff from Chris on Twitter about Mookie Betts and why getting traded to the Padres wouldn't be such a good thing. So, you know, I I don't want to get too far into it because I think there's a chance very soon, this week, he gets traded maybe. And then we will certainly really get into it, but... Chris, you brought up uh, home road splits and also the lineup and what could be very different uh, if Mookie Betts gets traded specifically to the Padres. Dodgers are also another destination. That would that would be better, I assume. But, yeah, what do you think right now on
3: Betts? Yeah, so the biggest thing with Betts, if you look at his home road splits, like I think there's an obvious comparison for the Padres, and that's Manny Machado. And Manny Machado really, for his career, never really hit well outside of Camden Yards. He was like a high 700s, low 800s OPS bat. And that's not what Mookie Betts has been in his career in Fenway Park. Fenway Park is a good hitter's park, but it actually suppresses power, uh, home run power specifically. And you see that Mookie Betts has actually hit more home runs on the road. The biggest thing, though, is Boston inflates every other type of hit really dramatically. It, it has a really high inflationary effect on Babbitt. I believe it's the second biggest outside of Coors Field. And so Mookie Betts doesn't hit for the same average at home now. Petco Park is similar to Fenway in that it is hard to hit home runs there, relatively speaking, but it also suppresses basically every other type of hit. And so you don't get that. It's a worse park, and last year the Red Sox leadoff spot saw 786 plate appearances. The Padres had 734. That's about 50, 52. Um, That's a significant difference when we're talking about volume, especially when you, you add in that he'll have a worse home park And really, a worse division to hit in, in terms of the home parks, at least.
1: Yeah. I think counter, though, would be, I I would expect, if they trade for Mookie Betts, if they get more games from Tatis, if they get a bounce back from Machado, you close the gap a little bit on those plate appearances from the leadoff spot. You know, you figure they would score more runs and be a better offense. Scott, how much of a difference would Betts' value be if he got traded to the Padres versus the Dodgers?
2: I think we'd mostly be having a ceiling type of discussion. What how how it changes his ceiling mm-hmm. um, in terms of like where he would go in drafts. Well, he'd be firmly the f- no higher than the fifth player off the board, right? Like he he would definitely go behind Bellinger at that point. Well, maybe there's some debate now whether or not he should go ahead. But there's just there's so few players in this player pool who are capable of contributing in all the ways that Mookie Betts does. Like if we knew for sure he goes to the Padres, okay, now he's going to stop running. Like if that was part of the equation, then I could see dropping him further, maybe even potentially out of the first round, but he could bounce back with a 30 steal season with a still a good batting average and still a good power contribution. And of course he's going to get on base a lot and, you know, still have a, be one of the top five hitters in fantasy pretty easily so i i don't think it really changes in terms of actual rankings anything
3: for me i think i would drop him i don't do rankings it's nice but uh i think in my Uh, head rankings i would probably drop him behind francisco lindor and trevor story okay how about garrett cole yeah i think you might like it it's possible you might take Eric Cole, Jacob DeGrom, Justin Verlander, those guys ahead of him as well. I think it's sort of that more comes down to how you want to build your team than who you think is the better player there, in my opinion. Okay. So Manny Machado was so bad, so bad in
1: Petco Park a 219 batting average last year with six doubles. On the road, he hit 289. .289, 70 batting average points, and 15 doubles. The home runs were similar. We're going to talk about Machado because the topic of today's show is basically, can these players return to greatness? And Manny Machado is one of them that we'll be talking about. Uh, just two more news items here. Seattle signed Marco Gonzalez to a four-year, $30 million deal. Gonzalez has had an ERA right around four, two straight seasons. Better, better real-life pitcher than fantasy pitcher, kind of a high whip, not a big strikeout rate. Scott, is Marco Gonzalez worth taking in a 12-team mixed league? He is not. No. Okay. No. Good. Then let's move on. Next item, Colorado signed Trevor Story to a two-year, $27.5 million deal. Still it uh, doesn't affect when he's eligible for free agency, just takes a couple of arbitration years away. Email from Jason in Seattle, Washington. Dear Hoffman, Bauer, and Cahill. Trevors? Trevors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I understand why some experts believe Trevor Story should go off the board as early as sixth overall, but are you concerned that since he just signed a mini-extension to buy out his arbitration years, that he will no longer run like he used to?
3: It's an impossible question to answer. Like, we just, this is the biggest thing (laughs) about projecting stolen bases, is it's just... It's about the the desire and willingness to do the thing as much as it is the ability we know he has the ability to do it and we know in the first two years of his career he didn't really do it that much uh but he showed the ability in the minors and now he's doing it so it's possible that they may he may choose to run less but i i don't think he was motivated to run in 2018 versus 2017 because he was arbitration eligible the following year
1: okay i think you You know, if he steals 10 bases and Trevor Story still gives you good batting average, hits around 290 to 300, if he gives you a bunch of runs plus RBIs, hits 35 or more home runs, I'm trying to remember his stats off the top of my head. Uh, Yeah, pretty much. Is that still a first-round player with 10 steals? No.
2: I, I think there are enough players who have a case to go in the first round that if you cut trevor story steals in half he probably drops outside of it now it's still a second round player right i would say but yeah i mean that's that's kind of where i struggle with trevor story i'm not i'm not quite as on board with ranking him sixth though i'm i'm having to rethink my approach to stolen bases a little um because i really haven't been happy with what I was able to do the first couple of roto drafts I've been a part of, how I was able to um, handle that category without making the early investment in it. You have to be really conscientious about it. I'm just not sure that Trevor story, the hope of him stealing 20 bases for a third consecutive season is being conscien- conscientious enough to pass up what to me is superior hitters. Like, yeah, it totally seems it seems highly plausible Trevor's story could steal 10 bases or fewer this year. And like right. when you when like 20 steals in this environment is is a lot just because there are so few out there, but it's it's still at a threshold where it wouldn't take that much of a drop off to push it down to a point where it wasn't a lot anymore, you know, it's it's just kind of a weird weird thing to uh to account for.
1: Okay. All right, it's uh, it's Monday night for us, but it's Tuesday for you all listening. Maybe, but it's certainly not Monday night when you're listening, unless you're really dedicated. So how about Team Name Tuesday? First one of the year, Team Name Tuesday. Remember, you can email us, at cbsi.com. Let's remember some
3: Gallegos. I like it, but I don't like the erasure of the true first Team Name Tuesday of the year, which happened last Friday. Oh, what was it? Uh, I can't remember but we did it <laughs> okay I'm sorry my bad it yeah. doesn't count unless I'm on the show. I don't know
1: what let's remember some guys is I I had to Google this but I, I do know you know like Mike Gallego
3: uh, but it's, it's it's been thing they they would just uh, they would just remember some old baseball players. that was it. they would just <laughs> let, remember this guy let's talk about him. It's great fun the life segment. <laughs> okay cool. All right then let's get
1: started with our topic of the day return to greatness. We all have our lists of players that we're wondering if they can return to greatness. We're going to make a quick case. Then we're going to decide, you know, do we agree with the case? You know, you have to make a case for a guy even if you, if you don't think he's going to return to greatness. Scott, I'm going to let you go first. Who's your first player for the return to greatness list?
2: Uh, my first player is going to be Andrew Benintendi. Benintendi, Benintendi, that guy. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Make your case. So I'm, I'm making the case for why he's going to return, yes or not. yes. Oh man,
3: <laughs> you want the one? Yeah. <laughs> I guess we know how you okay. feel.
2: So Andrew Benintendi was once the top prospect in baseball. He was once the AL Rookie of the Year runner-up. He started his career with two near 2020 seasons where he hit for a respectable or better batting average. So after one bad season, we're just going to throw all that away. That seems senseless, does it not? <laughs> okay. There's my case for him. Uh, what do you are, think?
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, he's still, he's 25 years old. Come on, we can't give up on Andrew Benintendi. He can return to greatness. Specifically, when was he great? He was great in 2018. He was a top 10 outfielder. In 2017, he was
3: a top 20 outfielder. Uh, yeah. And that's all, he, he doesn't need to be a top 10 outfielder. Uh, at his current... He's 102nd. This is um, not... He to be a top 25 outfielder.
1: Yeah, this is not necessarily an ADP discussion for now. Because everybody on this list that we're going to yeah. talk about today could end up being a great value if they return to greatness. Uh, Scott, do you think Andrew Benintendi will return to greatness?
2: No, he's actually on my bust list. Because when you consider the other... The outfielders that go beyond 25, uh, some pretty high-end performers from a year ago. Trey Mancini, Max Kepler... Um, let me see, I'm just going off the ones I remember off the top of my head, but they're all in my best column. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Ben and Tendi is it's been a year and a half that he's just been, he's just stopped doing anything. Well, his past 744, 770 at bats, he has 15 homers and 14 steals. Uh, neither of which is a good total over 770 bats in this environment and he was his numbers last year were totally earned he made weak contact his plate discipline went askew uh and even the even the argument I made for him was a stretch saying he had two near 20 20 seasons I mean the second of those was only 16 home runs so I just feel like if you're in vet, if you're counting on a bounce back there's not enough there to back it up it's really just. No, well, this guy was supposed to be good, so he wasn't good. Maybe he'll be good now.
1: Okay, I'll make one case for Ben Tendi. He did something last year that had plagued him throughout his career. He finally hit lefties, hit them fine, not great, but he had a 796 OPS against lefties. If he had hit against righties how he had hit in the first 3 seasons of his career, and combine that with a 796 OPS against lefties, he probably would have had a breakout season. But he was terrible against righties last year, which is weird. And um, well, I wouldn't say terrible, but he was bad, you know, against not great, not good enough. I guess what I'm saying is if you can get back to that righty form and keep making improvements against lefties, maybe he could put something together. But
3: I'll point you know. out that's what Max Kepler did. In 2018, he started to make an improvements against lefties, and he had really bad luck against righties and just wasn't good against them. He hit a ton of infield fly balls. He couldn't hit for power, but he showed progress against left-handed pitching. And then in 2019, he put both of those things together and emerged as a very good outfielder. So th- that's what I will say.
1: Okay. And, uh, Chris, who's your first player on the can he return to... Can, I, can you save Manny Machado for me because I don't have enough guys... Uh, compared to you and Scott, so I'll take Machado. Who Who's first for you?
3: Um. Yeah, I'll go with
1: Will Myers, Carlos Carrasco, Carlos Martinez. Yeah,
3: both Will Myers. I've been I've I've tweeted about Will Myers a little bit, and and basically the the crux of the year, I mean he wasn't any good last year. He you know has had trouble staying healthy over the years, but the biggest like last year there were stretches where he just wasn't getting played. Um, they were, they were flat out benching him because he wasn't very good and they had a a surplus of outfielders, but you look at the last four seasons with Will Myers, he's not going to help you much in batting average. He's got really bad plate discipline, but he has averaged 26 homers and 23 stolen bases per 640 at bats over the last or 640 plate appearances over the last four seasons. So it does require him to stay healthy. But that's kind of all I think he needs to do. Yes, he need he needs to not strike out thirty-four percent of the time like he did last year, but we're talking about a relatively small sample size. And if he can get back to being, you know, a high strikeout guy instead of one of the worst in baseball, there's huge potential for him, especially in a roto league. And the you know, I know you didn't want to talk about ADP, but he's free.
1: Uh, look, if he can steal twenty bases, that'd be great. He only stole sixteen last year. In 155 games, but you can't necessarily for Will Myers look at the games played. No, he, there, he was benched a lot. Yeah, there's a lot the of bench a lot. I, a
2: I, I just lot don't know hits. why that would change now. I mean, because they, I guess, why what? I would guess change? you look at uh, the benching. Well, Hunter Renfro has gone, Fram Bill Race is gone, but now they have Tommy Pham and now they have Trent Grisham. And like, if they weren't that motivated to start Will Myers last year and his skills seem to get worse. I, I just don't I don't know why that's going to change now.
1: Okay. Chris, do you think he, he will bounce back to relative greatness?
3: Part of my case for him would be, and we'll find out in about 24 hours maybe whether it'll work, but would be getting traded to Boston. If he gets traded to Boston, as has been rumored as part of uh, San Diego's offer for Mookie Betts, if that happens, now all of a sudden this is a guy who's been really hurt, harmful in batting average gets to land in a place that really boosts batting average. So, and I would think, I mean, there's no guarantee, but I would think their outfield is a little less crowded than San Diego's.
1: Okay, my first player is Paul Goldschmidt. 32 years old, was the number 12 first baseman in both points and Roto uh, last year. If you take away the guys who were, like, say, second base eligible, then you're talking about number 8, number nine first baseman. In fantasy last year, still not great. But, look, you can make a pretty easy case for him. Uh, basically, it was just batting average. He hit 34 home runs. He had 97 RBIs. He had 97 runs. We know he's not going to steal anymore. But he batted 260. Paul Goldschmidt usually bats about 290 or so. Earlier in his career, he was talking over 300. 2018, Goldschmidt was, uh, was a... The number two first baseman, I believe, in points leagues. Where are we here, Paul? Yeah. so 2018. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, number two first baseman. 2017, he was a top two. He was second in points, first in roto. He's basically top one or two every single year before last year, and it wasn't the ballpark. Uh, It's not like his home road splits were so bad. He was better at home than he was on the road. So, look, he got off to a bad start, batted 246 in his first 82 games. Then he had a 908 OPS in his last 79 games. If he has a 908 OPS and, you know, going forward, which he could do, then because he's not going to steal a ton of bases, it's not like he's going to be a first-round pick, but that could be a guy who's like a second- or third-round pick type of value. There's no reason why Paul Goldsmith cannot get back to greatness, and I actually believe that.
2: Well, he's, um, 30,
3: he's 32. Yeah, that's okay. The strikeout rate has... It wasn't as bad last year as it was the year before, but it's definitely gone in the wrong direction as he's gotten older. He also walked less last season and had the worst ISO of his career since 2016 and second worst since 2012. But that's... That, okay. Well, all right. All right. Fair enough. Go on. And, and I just think it, if you take it in totality, if you look at everything that he did, it, it's indicative of a declining skill set. And the, the increased aggressiveness to me could possibly indicate that he kind of has to cheat a little more, that he can't get by on bat speed alone, and so that will make him more prone to strikeouts, and it may not lead to, you know, he was like a plus power guy last year, but not nearly to the extent he had been once you account for the fact that everybody hits for power now.
1: Scott, how do you feel about Goldschmidt? And also, remember, it was like three or four years ago, he had a season where the home runs were way down. He had like twenty five home runs, and that just turned out to be an anomaly. It came way back up.
2: Yeah, now he's he's on my bust list. I could see things going very wrong for him. I don't like the way things have been trending, particularly the plate discipline. If you break down the plate discipline by things like first pitch strike and uh, chase rate and swinging strike rate, like they're they're all pretty much the worst they've were have ever been for him, which would kind of speak to what Chris was saying about how he's having to cheat a little more. And uh I think I don't know how gradual or steep the decline is going to be, but I think he's definitely on the the down slope here and uh, now thirty two years old.
1: Okay. Matt Olson or Paul Goldschmidt? They're going back to back according to fantasy
3: pros. Matt Olson. Uh I think I'd still rather have Goldschmidt.
1: Okay, and that is a sixth-round pick in a 12-team league, middle of the sixth round. Scott, round two, go for it.
3: All right,
2: let's talk about Edwin Diaz. Case for Edwin Diaz, of course, is that this time a year ago, he was the number one closer being drafted, and for good reason. He was coming off uh, just one of the, the dominant closer seasons of all time for the Mariners. He gets traded to the Mets, and things spiral out of control as they have a way of doing with Mets. Um, <laughs> but I, I, mean the strikeout rate was pretty much the same as that 2018 season, uh, in terms of like X FIP, you know, three Oh seven X So it would seem like he pitched better than he deserved in terms of ERA result there just by that number. Um,
1: Zra was yeah, five fifty nine. He, showed, he showed a lot. Terrible. He showed
2: that he has good stuff still, and just for one reason or another, the results were pretty, pretty abysmal.
1: I think he's, there's a great case for it. He had a bad, worse year in 2017, and uh, bounced back beautifully in 2018. And he he struggled with his slider; just could not get that going. If that pitch gets back to uh, where it had been, you know. I don't see I don't see a reason why he can't be the best reliever in baseball again.
3: I do think there's a good chance for a return to greatness. Chris, for Diaz. I love it. I, I think, like, I, I've drafted Diaz a couple of times. I think most recently it was, like, 107th overall, and I went back-to-back with him and Craig Kimbrell, uh, another guy who I think has a good chance to bounce back to greatness. I think, you know, Kimbrell has a better excuse for why his 2019 wasn't good, but Diaz, it was basically just home runs. And yeah, he gave up a lot of them, 15 and like 58 innings or something like that. But this is the thing with relief pitchers. It was 58 innings. That's fewer than Tyler Glasnow. Or I think it was 58. Correct me if I'm wrong. But he threw... It was 58. He th- I wrote about him today. So that's, that's how I knew that. Uh, he threw fewer innings than Tyler Glasnow last year, I believe. He threw fewer innings than Frankie Montas by about 30. And Frankie Montas was suspended for half the season. So... You know, we talk about relievers and we talk about the year that the guy had, but that year is like a month and a half for a starting pitcher. And we know better than to say one way or the other whether a starting pitcher fundamentally changed who they are based on a month and a half. And so I think we have to apply that same logic to relief pitchers. It's really hard, but it's probably the smart way to go about it. Scott, did you,
1: did you believe what you were saying about him bouncing back to greatness?
2: Um, that's a tough one. I, I rank him kind of straddling the fence there. I, I don't think I'm going to have many shares in him, so I guess that means I don't believe. But I think if there's... I, I, I think the relief pitcher pool this year makes it easy enough to buy into him. his going great, and if it doesn't work out, well... <laughs> You know, at least a third, if not half, of the closers drafted probably aren't going to work out. At least this one has significant potential. I do worry that there's already a ready made replacement there. Seth Lugo was getting saves for the Mets down the stretch and he's he would make a fine closer. Yeah. Obviously not Diaz's upside. And
1: Dylan Batanzas ladies and gentlemen.
2: Yeah, well, that he has a lot to prove. But yeah, <laughs> he's there too. And uh it seemed like he really struggled to find the grip on that slider with the seams being lower than in past years. And that's the eternal question for hitters, right? It affects certain pitchers too. And it's sounded like based on, you know, kind of the anecdotal reports going around that that's, that's kind of what was happening for him. Although, I mean, his slider still had a great swinging strike rate. It was definitely lower, Um, but it's not like it was a useless pitch for him.
1: Okay, he's going 12th overall at, at closer, but if you take out the starting pitchers, Edwin Diaz is actually the ninth closer. Oh, uh, Sorry, take out the starting pitchers who are RP eligible. He's the number nine reliever off the board. I shouldn't have said closers. I should have said relievers. So that's Glass now, Woodruff, and Carrasco. Take them out. Diaz is number nine. Right behind, Taylor Rogers for the Twins. And just, just look at Taylor Rogers' stat page. It's kind of hard not to buy into what this guy does. So, uh, real quick to finish it up, Taylor Rogers or Edwin Diaz? Edwin Diaz.
2: I rank Rogers ahead. Rogers, I think, is the last of my closers who um, ha- seems seems to have a secure job and shows no obvious reason for concern. And then you get into Edwin Diaz, who is the top one who does have reason for concern.
1: Okay, Scott. Why don't we go back to back? Scott White's here, and let's go to Craig Kimbrell.
2: Yeah, so Chris Chris says he has more of an excuse, and I, I guess that's true. I mean, obviously it was a hurried tune-up after signing that mid-year deal, although I'll point out that Dallas Keuchel seemed to be typical Dallas Keuchel after yeah. signing a
3: deal at the same time. Dallas Keuchel had a much longer minor league, like, rehab slash whatever you want to call it, didn't he? Kimbrough basically uh, got thrown I think right into the he just made bar. one
2: start. I think he just made one. I could be wrong about that, but Adam, if you want to check that yeah, out. I, I think, I'm on I think it. I, I, think I, I think I go. Uh, anyway, um, I don't understand why these guys, because this happened with Greg Holland too, and maybe that backs up Kimbrell's case, but I don't understand why these guys can't just be pitching while they're waiting to sign. I don't know. Maybe I'm oversimplifying. Well, they are,
1: they are, but it's different. I, I don't know if this matters to you, but I spoke to Melvin Gordon. Uh, he was on our set for, for HQ last week at Super Bowl, Super Bowl Radio Row, and I asked him like, "Why is it hard to just get get back in there?" And I know it's different. He's like, "I like, didn't have the preseason games and the timing with the offensive line and that stuff." So I just think, from a general standpoint, playing in a competitive game in a competitive environment just can't be duplicated. So I could buy that being an issue.
0: I just wanted to mention. I just wanted I to mention
3: that-, that I spoke to Melvin Gordon. No big deal. Yeah, you 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 big timed us last week. <laughs> Uh, you didn't show up because you were hobnobbing with Emmett Smith and Dan Marino <laughs> I, yeah, and Melvin yeah. Gordon. Do you want to hear a great Dan Marino story? You're you're too
1: good for us. Actually, about I won't tell the Dan Marino <laughs> story. It's really not a very good story. Uh, Dallas Keichel made his first start on June 21st, and Craig Kimbrell on June 27th was his first appearance. I don't remember. Keuchel made two so,
3: minor league appearances. You can look up how many minor league
1: appearances he made. Keuchel oh, I makes, should have done that. I should have done that. Yeah. That's what we were asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought they signed right around the same time, so I was just... Okay, Scott, um, Craig Kimbrell, why is he going to bounce back?
2: Dallas Keuchel made two minor league rehab starts.
1: That's what Chris just said,
2: yeah. Both seven innings long. Anyway, um... Okay, so I mean, the strongest case for Kimbrel is that okay, there's a there's a there's a ready-made excuse there. He's obviously Craig Kimbrel, who's probably going to the Hall of Fame. He's, uh, mm. uh, you know, he Spicy. he. Uh, oh man, I had these arguments all lined up, and now I just lost my train of thought.
1: Um, uh, I'll give you a hint: something about swinging strikes. No, it did <laughs> not have to do with swinging strikes. ex Moba. <laughs>
2: Uh, oh, I know what it is. The Cubs have a big financial investment in him, and I, they're going to give him every possible opportunity to seize and hold this role before giving in and turning to somebody else, which is not nothing in with all the uncertainty surrounding the relief pitcher position heading into the new season.
1: Okay, so who's more likely to bounce back? The only point I want to make about Kimbrel is that, I you know, I found it really hard to believe how little interest there was in him and it just seemed to me like people were almost predicting the beginning of the end for him. And maybe that started. There's no way he's a six fifty three ERA guy, which is what he was with the Cubs, but I, I don't know. There there had seemed even though the superficial numbers seemed pretty good, maybe he wasn't quite the same guy toward the end of his Red Sox tenure, but I don't I you know, it just surprised me that he couldn't get anything, uh, you know, until halfway through the season. So who's got a better chance of bouncing back, Chris, Edwin Diaz or Craig Kimbrell?
3: Edwin Diaz for sure. He's the guy who's in the physical prime of his career. He's the guy who was mostly able, I believe, I think he, did he go on the IL at one point last year? Either way, he made it through the season without suffering the serious injuries that Craig Kimbrell did. You know, Craig Kimbrell did deal with knee and elbow issues last season. So, you know, it's possible we are starting to see the the beginning of the end for him, whereas Diaz, it seems like a pretty obvious, and he talked about it openly and experimented with different grips on his slider. Um, so I think that's basically, he just fixes the slider and he's fine. Scott, do you think Craig Kimball will br- will bounce back?
2: I am very nervous about Craig Kimbrell. I have him ranked just behind Edwin Diaz, even though Kimbrell has the clearer role to open the season. And, uh, I think between the, the injuries Chris was referring to the way his velocity has been on the decline the past couple years and his control three of the fast past four years, he's had real control problems. Uh, and last year was just terrible. Again, it could totally be a, just a rust thing last year. And maybe that the elbow issue popped up at just the wrong time. That could totally be it, but. There's enough of a trend there for a guy who's been around a while. He's going to be 32 this year that I think it's reasonable to be concerned.
1: Chris, you're up for round two. Maybe you can pick someone who was actually great because round one was Mil- Will Myers. Oh, this
3: is, that's mean. I don't know. I don't know what you mean. Give me, give me Shakira great. Okay. That's what I mean. Oh, there's nobody who's Shakira great. Have you ever heard Cita Voss? I mean, come on! Is that like sit on the vase?
1: <laughs> no, Jesus. I don't.
3: I don't know. I never heard it. Uh, well, you, you you won't let me have Manny Machado. You want so Machado? I'm you get Machado. I will go with Carlos Martinez. Okay, who has been incredibly effective uh, in the two injury-marred season this seasons that he's had. We haven't seen, you know, a decline in his performance while dealing with. I think it was an oblique in 2018 and then a shoulder last year. He came back from both, mostly looked like Carlos Martinez. Now, yes, it's mostly been in relief as opposed to being a starting pitcher, but he is going to start this season as a starter, and the plan is to keep him in the rotation. I haven't heard that there's any plans to limit his uh, exposure at all. So, you know, Carlos Martinez was not quite an ace, but he wasn't far off. He was a really good pitcher. You saw the last couple of seasons – He's still got it when he's on the mound. And at a huge discount this season, I'll bet on him staying healthy because it doesn't really cost me anything.
1: Three years for Carlos Martinez, 2015 to 2017. He threw 179 and two-thirds, 195 and a third, 205 innings. He had an ERA of 301, 304, and 364. Uh, and unfortunately, he is a high whip guy. I mean, it's yeah. very it's, it's pretty damn high. You're not going to get lower than one, two, two. It seems, for Carlos Martinez, but very effective, probably because of that whip. I'm guessing better in points leagues. Um, I just a yeah, guess. Yeah, he's gonna have
2: that relief pitcher. Well, certainly
3: too. in that regard, yes. But that's yeah. also a big thing for him. Him and him and Carlos Carrasco could both be cheat codes in uh in a points league where you can put a starting pitcher in that relief spot
1: and Carrasco was someone that you also had on your list of, of can they return to greatness. I think it's a much easier case to make, right for Carrasco?
3: It's it's more uncertain. Um, like Carlos Martinez, it's just if the shoulder holds up, I think he'll be great. With with Carlos Carrasco, we don't know what the what the lingering ramifications of the illness that he dealt with will be. We don't know how they affected his overall um you know, strength and conditioning and we only saw him in a relief role. But yeah, I think you want to bet on these guys who <clears throat> have been borderline elite pitchers in the past and, you know, just have to stay on the mound because every pitcher just has to stay on the mound. That's the biggest question mark, even for the great pitchers, is can they stay out there? We know these guys are good. And yeah. so it's just a question of if they can stay healthy. If Carlos Carrasco and Carlos Martinez each make twenty-five starts, you're going to get a positive return on your investment.
2: I think I think the questions are bigger for Carlos Carrasco than just can he stay on the mound.
3: Okay, uh, hold on. And, let me and, let me you just
2: know, if, just in if you case want to say... uh,
1: just in case people don't remember, Carlos Carrasco had had leukemia last year. So yeah. that's why I thought I thought like, he had been for three straight years among the most consistent pitchers in terms of ERA and WHIP. And, you know, strikeouts kept going up. I I mean, I kind of felt like we knew exactly who Carlos Carrasco was. That's why, in my mind, he's an easy bounce-back candidate. But tell me why you think it's more difficult than that, Scott.
2: Uh, I mean, this is obviously a very serious situation he's coming back from. And he did return in September, and the velocity seemed fine. Granted, it was in a relief role. Uh, the results weren't good, but we'll give him a pass for that, too. It's, it's even more than the can he stay on the mound question, even more than the effectiveness question for me is the endurance question. Because if, like, we just don't know if he's going to have that same ability to get through a lineup, you know, get into it for a third time. And if he's more of like a a guy who's getting pulled before six innings every start, I mean, maybe he moves into more of a swingman role. Maybe he becomes like a Ross Stripling type who has similar ratios to Carrasco, but obviously not over near the same workload. And, uh, obviously even, even at his discounted rate, that wouldn't be a good enough return on investment if that happens.
1: I mean, the only, the only example, and it's, I'm I'm sure every case is different. The only example of a pitcher who came back that I can think of from something like this was
3: Jamison Tyone, right? Yeah. And and it's a different illness, um, you know, a different type of cancer. So it's, yeah, it's. None of us are doctors. It's it's really difficult to talk about, you know, and it 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 sort of, you know, highlights the absurdity of of what we're doing in this instance because it's so much bigger than whether he'll be a good fantasy asset, but it is what we have to discuss. And um, it is an unknown. But I would counter that I'm it's not a significantly bigger unknown to me than whether Tyler Glass now can pitch six innings consistently or throw a hundred pitches consistently. You know, like that's sort of, it gets to a bit of a difference in philosophy on pitching where I just, yeah, I think Scott and I talked about this on a podcast last week where I tend to just assume there's a blanket uncertainty, which pretty much with pretty much everyone. And so that, that papers over some of the, that that lowers my concern level for some guys like a Carlos Carrasco or Carlos Martinez, especially when the price is so much cheaper. Okay. Uh, yeah. I,
2: I mean there's a there's a blanket level concern for everybody. And and that's that same concern still exists for somebody like Carrasco and now there's just a new concern added
3: on. Like that doesn't Right, but it's being but it's being baked into his price.
2: Uh, maybe I guess this gets into my thinking of the starting pitcher the breakdown of the starting pitcher position this year where there's basically 40 guys who are good. And he's one of the 40, but there are more risks there, so let's rank him toward the back of that 40 as opposed to or the middle or whatever.
1: Here are the prices for these two pitchers. Carlos Carrasco, 116th. Carlos Martinez, somewhere around 180th. 185. 185. So what's a better value, Scott? 115th for Carrasco or 185th for Martinez? Uh, I'll
2: say... Carrasco, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'd rather have Carrasco there. Sure.
1: Okay. All right, let's do uh, one more round for everybody. I only did one. I guess I'll do two more rounds. Uh, Corey Kluber. Not hard to make case for him. So 2018, he was the number three pitcher in points, number six in Roto. 2017, he was the number one pitcher in both formats. He had a 225 ERA that year. 265 strikeouts and 203 and two-thirds. He was amazing. 2018, a 289 ERA. And uh, he threw 215 innings and had a .99 whip. So, Kluber was a stud. I was nervous about him last year because the inning's starting to get up there a little bit. You know, he's not young. He's going to be 34 years old in April this year. So this time last year, we're talking about a 33-year-old pitcher on opening day. And you know, last 19 games of 2018, he had a 3.67 ERA. So I was nervous about him, but obviously there's a big discount now, and he only made uh, I think seven starts last year. So it, again, it's not much of a it's not a difficult case to make. It stinks that he's not on Cleveland anymore. Kluber's on the Rangers, and he's been much better at home than on the road. But dude, the guy won the Cy Young two years ago, or I guess three years ago now, and two seasons ago he was a top six pitcher, top three in points. So that's my that's my case for Corey Kluber, Scott.
2: Yeah, I, he could totally be an ace this year. Um, I have him ranked. What do I have him ranked? I have him ranked thirtieth. So I have him just behind James Paxton, who could be an ace this year. I have him just be, ahead of that is Jose Barrios, who could be an ace this year. Ahead of that is Mike Soroka, who. Probably doesn't have as much upside, but I think is much safer. Out of that Sonny Gray, Brandon Woodruff, Trevor Bauer. Like you see what I'm saying? Like, all of these guys have that kind of high-end potential, and it just becomes a question of what you consider the riskiest. Is it a guy coming off a lost season who's in his mid-thirties and who was showing some slight skills regression before that injury? Or is it somebody who's less proven but has obviously shown that kind of potential in the past as well. And I, I would, I, I think that the risk factors become a little higher for Kluber there, but I certainly recognize the potential that he could bounce back and have a huge year. I would be fine with him as my number three starter. I just don't think I'd be willing to roll the dice on him being any more than that.
1: I don't really like him, to be quite honest.
3: <laughs> I, I'm alone then. Good. Good. I like it. Yeah,
1: well, the home road thing does kind of factor in, though, because like, his sure. his road ERA the last five seasons, not including last year, 249, which is great, 415, 303, 283, and 380. So it's great three of the last four years, but it was consistently better. At home. So if he's getting worse, you know, I just don't like him going to Texas. and Getting out of the AL Central, which was just a dream come true last year. And By the way, last thing I'll let Chris talk after this. It's not like Kluber was affected by his forearm injury last year. He was getting shelled, and then he got hit on the arm. He got a broken forearm. So it's not like he was pitching through an injury last year. He just was pitching like crap, and then he broke his arm. All
3: right, Chris, why are you uh, the high
1: guy on Kluber?
3: I will point out two things. One, 2017 on... May 2nd, uh, he made a start against Detroit that did not go well, and he went on the IL shortly after. He had a 5.06 ERA after the first six starts. So one fewer in it, one fewer start, I think it was roughly the same number of innings. Um, his control in those 30-something innings wasn't as good. Uh, he came back and had literally the best season of his career and one of the best pitching seasons of the last 20 years. Uh, and one Cy Young. He had a 2.25 ERA for the full season with an 0- .0869 WHIP. He was a- incredibly good. Now, there were there are signs of, of decline, but we're talking about a tiny sample size: thirty five and two thirds innings. That's not even an 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 Edwin Diaz sample. No, I'm
2: size. talking about the year before, too, 2018.
3: Sure, but that was also his third best ERA ever, and sure. led the majors in. Innings pitched, he had the lowest strikeout rate in uh, the American League. He was, yeah, he wasn't as good as 2017, but he was still clearly, you know, maybe you needed a second hand to count the number of pitchers who were better than him, but you didn't need too many fingers on that second hand to get to Corey Kluber. And so it's possible that he's just done. It's possible that we saw the start of the decline and it was just that line drive that kept us from being able to say for certain that Corey Kluber is done as an ace. And we do have to take in, into account he is pitching in Texas. And while it is a new park and they will have a retractable roof, so it's, it's uncertain. I would guess the roof will probably be closed most more often than not, uh, especially in the summer. We don't know what the impact of that park is, but, but historically, Arlington has been a very Homer happy place to play baseball. Uh, it's incredibly warm in the summer. It's not particularly humid. So there's just not a lot of drag on the ball. If I understand the science correctly, and I think I do, it seems like a good place to hit. So all of those factors are working against him. But, you know, you mentioned the guys that you have ahead of him. And in, in ADP, it's very similar Jose Barrios, Trevor Bauer, you Darvish. Tyler Glass now. Most yeah, I didn't
2: of, even get up as high up as that, yeah.
3: Most of those guys, James Paxson as well, we've never seen an ace season from them. We think they can do it, but we know Corey Kluber can We know Corey Kluber can check off every box that you want from an ace. Not just the ability to limit runs, not just the ability to put up a good whip, but the ability to rack up a ton of strikeouts and pitch a ton of innings. Mm-hmm. And we just, none of those guys... Uh, I would say even you Darvish hasn't necessarily shown that ability. I guess Trevor Bauer did once.
2: It's been a few years since Darvish has Yeah. Had taken on that kind of workload. Um, but, you know, I've, I've also pointed out differences too. There there's, Start for start, how deep do they go into games? And then there's obviously the overall innings total. And start for start matters more to me than the overall innings total. Obviously, if you could do both like Kluber has done consistently, that's great. I think the the comment I would seize on that you made is there's a chance he's just done. And I, I think I'm a little more wary of investing heavily in him knowing that there's that chance but my approach to pitching this year is basically draft four guys who have the potential to be your number one. I would consider Kluber one of those four guys. If, if I drafted him, I'd be fine taking him as one of those four guys. So it's not like I'm discounting the potential here. I'm just being a little a little more cautious than it sounds like you're going to be. Yeah.
3: And, and the only time I've drafted him was like in the 70 to 80 range in the FSGA draft, and it was after I had Luis Severino Noah Syndergaard There's a lot of upside in that pitching staff. It's terrifyingly unsafe, but I liked being able to get Kluber at that price as my ostensible number three.
1: Last round, and let's go to Scott first. Scott, give me the last guy you want to talk about. Make a case for a return to greatness.
2: All right. Let's make a case for the return to greatness for Travis Shaw. Now, as I understand it, Travis Shaw made a mechanical adjustment last spring that
1: uh, did strike out. He was like, hey, I'm just going to I'm just going to hit less. He was (laughs) so bad. Holy cow. Is he bad? (laughs) That's
2: the effect it had. I, I mean, it started in spring training. The plate discipline was just terrible. I think he had like 30 strikeouts to no walks last spring. I may be exaggerating slightly, but it was really that bad for a guy who had been a good plate discipline guy. And then it just, it never got that much better during the regular season. He went down to the minors for a stretch and and hit the crap out of the ball there. Who wasn't hitting the crap out of the ball at triple a right. But then his return trip to the majors went just as poorly and he just never got off the ground. Ended up being just a bench piece for the Brewers while Keston here. came up and, And obviously did big things. Now Shaw gets a chance again with the Blue Jays. He's penciled in to be the everyday first baseman. So they're at least giving him a chance to recapture his form. And the cost is nothing for a guy who we were all drafting in the top 100 last year, right?
1: So that would be the case for him. And, And he's had, I think it was 2000, let me just take a look, 17? Yeah, his first season with Milwaukee. 273, 31 homers, 101 RBIs. And he got hurt late in the year, but he was so, so good before that injury. I mean, he was kind of a, a star before that injury. So I thought he might be able to pick that up into 2018. 2018 was disappointing, even though he had 32 home runs, he had batted just 241. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a case. I, I really went with guys who were, you know, who were studs, MVP, Cy Young. You guys were like, hey... How about guys who've been like very good, but that uh, <laughs> that that would be Shaw's category. But sure, we, he could be very good again. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to criticize you too harshly there, Chris. Who's your last player?
3: Trevor Bauer, and 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 stud. Let's talk. He was a stud. He was, yeah. 2018, he was an incredible pitcher. You could argue he was the best pitcher in baseball in 2018. Trevor Bauer would certainly make that argument. <laughs> Uh, if you ever asked him. Um, he was not nearly as good. The the control regressed. His his secondary pitches weren't nearly as effective as the year before, and he really struggled upon getting to Cincinnati, which, as you all know, is where he will be pitching this season. It's a tough place to pitch. Uh, it's an okay division, but Cincinnati is a, a band shell. But I would just point out he, he struck out 253 batters last season he threw 213 innings he's basically had no trouble making his start so when you talk about the ability to rack up innings as a as a prerequisite for an ace he scratches that box he scratches the box scratch the box the right term that feels weird he he checked the box checks that box yeah checks the box for uh, the ability to throw strikeouts which is basically a a shorthand for potential when we talk about starting pitchers can you be an ace well if you can get 253 strikeouts in a season you can probably be an ace he's got to fix some things he's got to keep the ball in the yard he's got to get the walks down a little bit but we've seen this guy be an ace he's not being drafted as one right now and you know we know there one thing you cannot say about Trevor Bauer he's not you can't say he's not going to put in the work to try to get better Uh, Whether it will actually work, well, 2019 showed us that it's not always a guarantee. Hard work doesn't always pay off, kids, but uh, let's not fall for recency bias. We fell for recency bias with Trevor Bauer last season. I was drafting him as a top five starting pitcher. Let's not go too far in the opposite direction. You know, he's not just the guy he was in 2019. He's not just the guy he was in 2018. If he's somewhere in the middle, that's still a pretty good pitcher.
1: I believe Terry Francona really was irresponsible in the way he used Trevor Bauer. Just he would not be pitching well, and Francona would just let him go and go and go and go, and he would throw so many pitches. And I'm sorry, I know he's kind of a freak, but not, but nobody's invincible. Yeah, and that really bothered me. Scott, how do you feel about the bounce back possibility for Bauer?
2: I like the bounce back possibility for Bauer. Uh, I I do have him. I think like seven spots ahead of Kluber. In, in his case, like it, it's very it's plain for me to see what happened to Trevor Bauer, the curveball that he really started emphasizing. I think the year before his near signing season in 2017, it helped elevate his ground ball rate to a point that he wasn't getting crushed by home runs. And then he just stopped throwing it so much last year and the fly ball rate went up. The home run rate went way, way up. It became especially bad when he went to Cincinnati. If I can see it, if it's if it's plain for me to see, then I got to feel like he can see it too and is going to recognize that's the change he needs to make. Maybe there was an r- underlying reason why he wasn't throwing the curveball as much and that I can't speak to, but it, to me it adds up what went wrong for him and how he can get it right
1: again. If I can change and you can change, then everybody can change. Last guy for me, does anybody know that movie?
3: I you know Rocky it seems 4. really familiar. Yeah, it's Rocky ah. 4. Come on. Eh. Never even
1: Rocky seen it. Ch- Who's never seen it? I have. You I've seen- only
2: seen Rocky 1.
1: Well, they all get worse from there, but Rocky yeah, it's 4 The best Rocky movie? Rocky per- 4 is like the the dumb fun can't take my eyes yeah. off of it movie. It's yeah. It's not that good, but <laughs> it's the most watchable for sure. It's so wow. fun. Uh anyway, My last guy for me should go. Should we go with Stanton or David Price? We didn't do Machado. I would
3: say Machado for another show. I'll just say, David Price was pretty good last year. He was up until he needed surgery. So we don't even need to have that argument.
1: Uh, Okay. Well, he wasn't that good because he his first seventeen starts, he had a three sixteen ERA and a ton of strikeouts and a one fifteen WHIP. But he only had eight quality starts in those seventeen. He averaged five and a third because uh, oh, that's David Price. Giancarlo Stanton, it's th- the easiest case to make. He's a big, strong dude who's going to play in arguably the best lineup in baseball. He won the MVP in 2017. In 2018, Giancarlo Stanton was a top-10 outfielder. I mean, he was a top-22 22 hitter, 22 in points, 16th in Roto, and that was while he played the last month of the season hurt and had a 700 OPS in his last 31 games. So... Uh, and that was also with him struggling a lot at home, which could have been a mental thing in his first season with the Yankees. Certainly not a ballpark thing. So it's a really easy case to make for Stanton. He's going in the 60s. So he's going 661st overall. That's the end of round five, beginning of round six. Six. There, there's no doubt in my mind, and I mean this, there's no doubt that Giancarlo Stanton has 45 home run and like 230 RBI plus run Potential. He does.
2: I'm, I mean. Okay. Well, I, I, you hadn't finished the sentence. Then. Oh, Sorry. the pluses. I chuckling too soon. <laughs> I thought you were exaggerating the RBI. No, potential there. I,
1: I don't know a guy who has more upside that goes later than John Carlos Stanton. You know, like he could be, he, he could be that great again. I just, I don't think it's necessarily going to happen, but he, he
3: could. Can I do the official Yankee fan response? Yeah, sure. Hey, Mike. First time, long time. I want to talk about this Mike Stanton guy. All right. This guy's not a true Yankee. He's not clutch. He gets up there. He swings at everything, and he doesn't know what he's doing. He's a bum. Get him out of here. Go Yanks. <laughs> All
1: right. Appreciate. Good call. Good call. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Scott, we got Scott White on the line. Scott, what do you think about that bum, Stanton?
3: He's <laughs> always oh, hurt. actually what Scott believes.
2: <laughs> I I do have him on my bust list Stan and Chris and I got pretty deep into why that is it's it's more an argument for the floor than against the ceiling because I totally get what you're saying um I just I just think there's enough reason to be concerned that the decline could be nearing and it could be steep and especially given how much time he's missed over his career, no. uh, I would be reluctant. I, I still think the price is a little too high for me to roll the dice on that. Especially given the caliber of player that's still available in that fifth round range of the draft. Like, okay, I would. I'm st- I'm looking to fill out my pitching staff at that point rather than trust that everything's going to go fine for Stanton this year.
1: It is a little earlier than I thought it might be, but I. The point I would make if hitting is so. Plentiful, especially if you're playing in a three outfielder league or a league with a deep waiver wire. Giancarlo Stanton is exactly the type of player you should be gambling on because if he's if he's a bust, you can get by losing your fifth or your sixth round pick being a bust. You can get by; it's no big deal. So you know you could survive that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'd take chance there. Like, like okay. For example, Scott, he's not having Stanton either. He's you know? going, but not not. I mean, he's been MVP as recently as two seasons ago. Or is it three yeah. seasons ago? Uh, so he's going three spots ahead of Paul Goldschmidt. You know they're back to back in terms of right. Players. I don't
2: like Paul Goldschmidt either. That's probably not who I'd take
1: instead. Yeah, but it's a good spot for pitchers. You're right in that respect.
3: Yeah. It's tough range for hitters though. If you look at you know especially outfield, uh, let's look at between Stan at 61 overall and ADP, and then the next two rounds: Eloy Jimenez, Victor Robles, Jorge Soler, Tommy Pham. There's a lot of risk in that range, period. I don't think any of those guys comes with no risk. And I think Stanton has I know, Scott, you might disagree with this, but I think Stanton has more upside than any of those guys. I know you really like Jorge Soler.
2: Stanton has more upside. I think I think Soler's upside is is comparable, but obviously Stanton seems like the safer the better bet to reach his upside than Solaire does. I don't
1: think the upside is that comparable. I mean, Stanton hit, plays in a Little League ballpark on the best offense in baseball.
2: You, just, you realize Solaire hit 48 home runs last year, right? And have you, Did you see his second-half numbers? I mean, I mean I, it was, it was
3: MVP-level Stanton, but, but basically, you, who he was in the second half. But Stanton hit 59 home runs and had 255 RBI and runs combined in Miami. With the Marlins. Yeah. Well, we
2: all know he's... I think we're all in agreement he's not going to be that guy again. Well, that I think, guy struck out at a much lower rate than he's shown the potential Soler. to do, including since in his one full year in New York.
3: Yeah. I don't think Jorge Soler is going to be the guy he Me was either. last year. Is my thing. Right. 48 well, home runs
1: a ton. I just... like I, I don't know. I, the batted ball profile supports it, and he... So the he, became, he became a good contact. Who hits the, the ball effect. harder than Stanton? Judge? What? Who hits the ball harder than Stanton, his teammate?
2: Well, Soler's in the same range as Stanton, I'm saying.
1: You really think Soler has more upside than Stanton? That's not what I said. But I think the, the upside's comparable. Okay. I
2: think Stanton has a higher probability chance of meeting that upside. I also think Stanton has a higher probability of chance of just bottoming out.
1: It Because of bad performance because of injury?
2: Um... I, I guess because if, I guess if you're factoring it, you'd have to factor in the injury concern for me to say that yeah.
1: right like he's it's not like he's been a bad player at all I mean it, it, he hit 288 with three home runs in 18 games he, 12 walks 24 strikeouts it, you know and like I said top 10 outfielder in 2018. so I, I'm not really seeing a ton of performance decline just that he is striking out a ton like he did that one year where he didn't strike out nearly as much that's done, uh, that's not happening obviously. But right. he's still hitting. That was the MVP well. year. Yeah, that was 2017.
3: Okay, uh, did you guys read emails in your last show? We did get to some emails in the last show. Yeah, we got like seven.
1: Okay, that's good because we're sort of we're at an hour already. I'll, I'll speed through some emails. Here we go. We'll save regulators uh, for a later show. Emails not later
3: anything.
1: 10:40 <laughs> p.m. Uh, what the heck happened to Scooter Jeanette? The dude was an all-star in 2018. Uh, injury derailed this season. He got traded to the Giants, played three weeks, was released. Now I haven't even heard Scooter Jeanette's name. Is he still playing? Is he on a team? Did he ever even exist to begin with, or did I just imagine him?
2: <laughs> That's pretty damning, all the details you laid out there. I am not putting any hopes <laughs> out there for Scooter Jeanette
3: this year. Uh, I think the last I saw, the Cubs were thinking about signing him. But I don't, I, I, that might be a figment of my imagination.
1: Scooter Ryan Joseph Scooter Jeanette is an American professional second baseman who is currently a free agent. That's according to Wikipedia. From Jose, That's, I need to choose my three keepers. I already have Severino and Soto, so who's my last one? Zach Gallen, Gavin Lux, De Nelson or Nick Senzel? Uh,
3: who was before Gallen? I could not keep up with that either. I'm Nobody. Sorry.
1: Severino and Soto are being kept. The four options for the last pick are Gallon, Lux, Lamette, and Senzel. Gallon.
2: Gallon. Yeah.
1: From Patrick Dear Brown, only in Bluth. Busters. Buster. Ah. I will frame my self serving keeper question to benefit others as to increase the chance of being aired. (laughs) When I think of keeping young, hopefully will be studs. Uh, in a keeper league, am I wrong to favor hitters over pitchers in a 12-team categories league? I ask as I'm trying to decide which two of the below three keepers I want to hold on to with their round in parentheses. If I keep two with the same round, I lose the previous round. So here are my choices. Kyle Tucker, 24th, Zach Gowan 24th, Brandon Woodruff, 24th. So he needs two of those three.
3: So that's tough, because generally speaking, I do think, and this is something that I've done in the prospect and dynasty drafts that we've done so far, is uh, I think you should value hitters over pitchers, especially when it comes to prospects and especially when it comes to young guys. But in this case, Kyle Tucker is much less proven than Zach Allen and Brandon Woodruff. So that's, uh, you know, all other things being equal, I I want to pick the hitter. All other things are not being equal here. Um, so I think I would go with Gallon and Woodruff, you have a better chance of being able to get Kyle Tucker back at a reasonable price as well. Scott, I'll give you the next
1: one from Jeff in Iowa. He says for the life of me, I cannot figure out how to view Starling Marte. Do I avoid him because he's playing in a new stadium and coming off a career? Do I target him because he's playing in a better ballpark, which might mean he puts even better numbers up.
0: Uh, I, I think if,
2: if you play in a standard five by five league, a league where steals take on a high priority, that's why you target him. There's just so few players early rounds or otherwise who are going to help you in that category while not burying you in anything else. So I, I don't even really care about the venue change in, in that respect. If it's, if it's not that if it's a points league or some other format that doesn't highly reward steals, I, I mean I, I think somebody else is going to reach for him earlier than I would just because he is coming off a career season and now there's some uh some momentum from the trade. So I guess I would avoid him in that scenario, but presuming you're playing in traditional five by five league, do you want steals there or not? That's really all it comes down to for me.
1: Last email from Jeremy. Hey, Maddox, Glavin, Avery and Smoltz, those are busters. I have the seventh pick in a traditional head to head categories league. Twelve teams. Would you take Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Jacob deGrom, Garrett Cole, Nolan Arenado, or Trevor Story?
2: I would take... Categories
1: League, seventh pick.
2: You got to take... Uh, my, my rankings would say Cole. I think Chris would say Story here, right?
3: I was thinking Cole, but... Oh, okay. Well, was... don't let me answer for you. Yeah, I mean, I was answering for the community. I might take Story. Oh,
1: okay. Cool. Good show, guys. Thank you very much. Well, uh, it's been fun. Glad to be back. We got f- uh, three more episodes coming this week: Tuesday night, Wednesday afternoon, Friday afternoon. We've got some drafts that we'll be doing. We'll be talking about. And your emails at fantasybaseball.cbsi.com for Scott and Chris. I'm Adam. See you later.